Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. I'm your host, SK Vaughn. This is a community of women supporting women. Each week, we'll hear from ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We'll cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you're a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. So buckle up, girlfriend. Let's do this. Leah Davis, a native of Tupelo, Mississippi, is a relationship manager for United Way of Central Alabama. She's a fundraiser and manages the J. Mason Davis Leadership Society, United Way's premier giving society for Black change makers. She is passionate about community-engaged advocacy and making a difference. Leah attended the University of Mississippi and was an active student leader in various roles primarily focused on diversity, inclusion, and racial reconciliation efforts. Leah was inducted into the Student Hall of Fame and graduated from Ole Miss through the Sally McDonald Barksdale Honors College in May 2020. Welcome, Leah. It's so good to be here. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for having me. Of course, yeah. So I like to start off the podcast with how are you surviving this week and how are you thriving? So I'll just kick us off while you're thinking through that. Um, surviving. I took a week off last week. And if you know me, like I haven't taken a real vacation in like four years. So that was a really big deal for me. (laughs) And to my surprise, um, I came back to a million and one emails and projects. Um, So this really reminded me why it's so hard for me to take a break, Um, but it was definitely needed and was a really good just mental break for me. Um, And that's really how I was kind of surviving coming off of that trip, but it was also really nice to have that time. And then I'm thriving. Um, This weekend was just so chill and just so nice to be with my husband and my sweet dog, Mayfair. We just really enjoyed not having to be anywhere at a certain time, which may sound kind of lame for most listeners. (laughs) But, you know, when you go, 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 and you feel like you're always having to be somewhere at a specific time, it's nice just to kind of go with the flow and just enjoy your couch and and watch a little Netflix and, and grill. And that's really what we did all weekend. And it was just so needed and amazing. What about you? Well, I, I feel you on that. I've been go, go, go for the past um, few weeks. So I'm excited to kind of chill out for the next few weeks ahead. Um, surviving, I just got a new manager, a new boss. Um, and in between that time, since the beginning of the year and before um, he was hired, I was kind of in a transition and limbo period. Um, so work has picked up a lot. And so I'm trying to readjust how I'm going to be productive because we're getting into our busy season now. So I'm surviving that. Um, Thriving, I just had a birthday a few days ago um, and I turned 23, so young. Um, But I feel like it's my first year of womanhood. So I've been really celebrating that. Um, And my friends have just been really awesome, whether they were near me or far away of really just making me feel loved and cherished and all the positive qualities that they think I have. So I'm just really riding that high of all the love that I felt this week. Well, happy belated birthday. That's exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think of a time when it's like, okay, this is like a new season in life, a new chapter. 
welcome to um, stepping into this new chapter. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. So Leah is from my hometown of Tupelo, Mississippi. Let's go wave. So give us a little background from then to now. Wow. Um, Tupelo seems like forever ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was I was born and raised in in Tupelo, Mississippi. Um, I was born to um, to ministers. My dad is a pastor, and my mom is a minister as well. So I grew up with a very um, family centered, church centered, religion centered life, and I just really grew up. We were a really tight family unit, just my nuclear family, but they really just taught me a lot of things of like how to serve, um, how to love people, um, how to really be intentional about what I do. So I credit, I, I love Mississippi. I don't feel necessarily just a whole bunch of connection to Tupelo, but it's where my family's from. So I really try to credit that. Um, but I love Mississippi in general. So I always start out with saying that I am a Mississippi native. So that way, no matter wherever I end up, like people know that um, that's where home is and that's where my roots are. Yeah. And then explain to us kind of where are you at now? Now I am in Birmingham um, working a real adult job, um, that eight to five life, nine to five life. So after Tupelo, I went to college, lived in Oxford for the University of Mississippi and um, just loved it there, had so many great experience, so much, learned so much about myself, learned so much about the world around me and people, and I'm still growing as developing as a person, but I would say that just like a lot of people, college is a very defining four to five years of your life, um, and for me, it was a very defining four years, so it, it prepared me for where I am today, it helped me to be the adult of who I am today. So I always say that like, um, I'm a product of a village. So growing up in Tupelo, I have my village there. I have my village in Oxford and other places in Mississippi. And now I'm starting to build my village in Birmingham. I love that. That's awesome. You mentioned, you know, in your bio about being community engaged, right? Like, so what is community engaged advocacy and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah that a lot of advocacy work and people being out front has become a little bit more mainstream. Um, I like to say that I am passionate about community engaged work and advocacy. Um, some people might see it as another word for activism, but I don't like that word because it's very self-centered to me. That's not a title that I don't think, me personally, I, I don't like to bestow that upon myself. So I like to say that I'm an advocate for people just in general, because I am always trying to connect people. If I know that someone needs something, I'm always trying to connect them to different resources. One, because we are all in a community. Um, and I think God never put us on this earth to be alone. We're supposed to be around people. We're supposed to be helping each other. We're supposed to live our lives interconnected to some extent. Um, and when you're trying to advocate for specific causes or issues or groups of people or anything that you care about. If you don't do it to benefit the community that you're working in, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't benefit people and there's not actual sustainable change. So everything I do, whether it's my job or whether it's my personal life, I really am trying to recenter 
and focus on community, whatever that looks like, whether that's specific communities or just the community as a whole, but um, making sure that I'm in line with what other people are doing or doing what is best for whatever area or field that I'm in. That's great. I have to go back. So you had a really interesting story when we last spoke about when you were attending the University of Mississippi, also known as Old Miss. So tell us about your experience educating the community on diversity and inclusion efforts. I know it was an interesting time in your life, a really defining experience. And I would just love to kind of dive into that story and really share your, your heart and your experience with all of that. Yeah, University of Mississippi, colloquially known as Ole Miss. Um, I normally just call it University and UM, but it is a beautiful, interesting, just very complex place. Um, I think a lot of people know kind of about the history of um, it was one of the it was the flagship like public university in Mississippi. Um, it integrated in the early 60s and its integration was very tumultuous. Um, and then since then, they've just had historical issues with race and um, how they have treated Black students and Black faculty and staff. So when I came into the university, I started in the fall of 2016, right after I graduated high school. And they were making these new diversity inclusion efforts. Um, they have been going on for so for some time. People have always advocated for people to be more inclusive, for um, things to be better, and for the university to kind of recognize the community as a whole, right? So when I came in, there was there were a lot of things going on, and there's always something that happens because of the alumni base or different things that have happened. But 2018 was when things just kind of reached a pinnacle. I think with the political landscape and things being seemingly polarized um, and the students really saying that at some point, the university has got to take a radical stand. And if you know anything about sustainable change, a lot of times it has to come from the bottom up and not from the top down. So at the center of campus, there was a Confederate statue. And just to give a little bit of background, because some people don't necessarily know about the history of Confederate statues, most Confederate statues were erected about 50 to 60 years after the Civil War ended. Um, they were erected by different groups, like the Daughters of Confederacy, who were daughters and granddaughters of Confederate um, soldiers who fought in the Civil War. But they were erected around the time that Black people were starting to gain voting rights and were having thriving businesses. Um, so they were really erected as like a fear tactic to enact Jim Crow laws, which enforced segregation and which forced um, Black people to not vote and participate in civic processes and like own property and different things like that. So you can find historical documents of normally when the statues were erected and they had a dedication ceremony, the people who dedicate them would talk about how they dedicate these statues to preserve this view of the old South, which is what the South was before the Civil War ended. So that statue was erected at the heart of University of Mississippi's campus back in the early 1900s. 
Um, it was not erected by students. It was erected by some random group that lived in Oxford that just wanted it on campus, but it was there for a specific reason. And since the university was integrated and it's, and it's the flagship university, it is just a eyesore. Um, it's the first thing you see. It, it was the first thing you see when you drive onto campus right past the guard shack. It was this 30 foot tall looming stone statue that was vaulted. Um, it was deep in the ground. It was meant to not be moved and it was meant to uphold this view of the old South. And I think that that's not where people wanna be. Um, and in the fall of 2018, I was in student leadership and in student government. I was particularly doing like diversity and inclusion work. So working with minority students and administration and being a liaison and different things like that. And we just had a series of town halls and students from every background, Creek color, Greek affiliation, um, they were saying, that's not what Ole Miss is. That's not what the university is. We don't need to glorify that. It doesn't need to be at the center of attention anymore. And so that's when several of us were like, we've just got to do it. <laughs> um, I can't get a backhoe and like actually move it, but it's got to go. Um, it's got to be moved. And there have been several talks with administration up until that point, and the administration was dragging their feet. They didn't really want it to be moved because it would piss certain alumni groups off. Um, and the university is controlled by a higher board. So there was a lot of bureaucracy and politics going on, but there were a lot of students, just this collaboration and this coalition of all different types of students who were like, this is not who we are. And as students, and if we want to create a better future for people to come after us, and if we want the university to survive and thrive, it's got to go. Um, so state law in Mississippi and in Alabama, a lot of Southern states, um, you cannot destroy Confederate monuments. It is specifically written, you cannot destroy Confederate monuments. They can only be relocated and they have to be relocated to an appropriate place. So, I worked more on the institutional side, so working kind of through the democracy process, I guess you could say. So in student government, we wrote a resolution and it passed unanimously by the Senate. Every vote was yay. Um, and we said this needs to be moved to a different location. And there's a Confederate cemetery kind of towards the back side of campus that's a little hidden that a lot of people didn't know about it. So we recommended that it would be moved there and we presented it to the chancellor at the time and he agreed. Um, now from that, it was just a long process because of the politics and bureaucracy and the different arguments that people would pose, but um, it was moved. Um, it was moved in the summer of 2020. So about a month and a half after I graduated, but I think it was just, it needed to be done. Um, and I think, it's amazing how the university has just moved forward. They recognize that that statue was holding the university back from progress symbolically and physically because it was physically embedded in the landscape. And now they've just moved forward. They're trying to make sustainable change. And now that that is out of the way, we can say like, hey, okay, now we are committed to doing certain steps and making progress as far as racial reconciliation and diversity and inclusion now that this ugly symbol is not at the center of our campus. 
So it was, it was pretty powerful, long two years, I will say that. Uh, just going back and forth and people's hurls and insults and different things like that. Um, long two years, but it really was a defining moment for me, um, defining moment of my, my college career. Wow. Well, you're being very gracious in the two years. I know that it took to get that done. It's not always easy being someone who sees something that needs to be done and speak up on behalf of someone or, or a cause or a group or um, just basic morals. Sometimes it can be hard to be that person that stands up and says something. So good for you for dedicating two years of your time, your collegiate career to this cause and, and to this um, initiative. And what a graduation gift in a way, like looking back on your four years there, like you've done a lot more in those two years than most students did in their entire four. So that's really just encouraging to hear that if you see something, you need to say something, you know, if something's bothering you, if something's not right, like it's not too late to to, to start the conversation, to make that change. Most definitely. So what lessons did you learn throughout those, ex- those experiences? I mean, talking about hearing from people who may or may not have been saying the kindest words who were completely in opposition of your stance, like what did you learn from that? Yeah. So I learned so much. Um, one, I do want to like make a point that I was a part of like this broader sense. Um, I think a couple of friends and I, we kind of dedicated maybe a little bit more time to it than others, but it was this broad student effort. Um, there were just a couple of point people in it. Um, and I can't even name all the point people because I would definitely leave someone out. But um, yeah, so it really gave me a sense of community when I was in that Senate room and it was a big thing because we, um, the press had leaked that we had passed this resolution and there was media there and there were police there because they were scared of like counter protesters showing up. There was just a lot going on. But when I was in that Senate room and every single senator, even the ones who I thought were probably some of the most difficult and just honestly racist people that I had to deal with in my Ole Miss career, even when they stood up and their vote was yay and it was unanimous, that just, it gave me chills. One, because I'm a very realist person. I'm just very like straightforward facts. I am hopeful, but my hope is um, grounded in the reality and how can we make sustainable change um, and not just performative change, but it just that moment and seeing how the community can come together and how it came from the students, a student body that most people would judge based on the perception that would not be wanting, would not want that type of change. So um, it taught me so much, taught me so much about people. It taught me so much about Mississippi. I had to, we had to dig a lot into research and state law and just all all these things and I really had to educate myself um and we as a group had to educate ourselves on just the politics of things but I think a lot of people look at Mississippi as being this backwards place and that's not yes it's true but no it's not there are a small group of people of Mississippi wealthy people who hold power in the state, but majority, a lot of people 
in this state want change. They want progress. They don't want to be this backward state. And so I think that that was just a moving that 30 foot tall stone. Um, it, it was, it, it kind of just showed the world that like the flagship university in Mississippi, which has a very contentious and racist history and sometimes a racist presence, let's just be honest. If it can make a statement like that to the world to say, this is just what we're going to do, even though it took a long time, but a statement was made that this will no longer be glorified on our campus. I think that that, that kind of signals to other small schools, large school cities that it, it can happen. Change can happen. So I just, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I'm a lot, I was very resilient. Um, that resilience did come at a cost um, to my mental health and to my physical health. So I really had to learn how to take care of myself on the back end and on the front end. But I learned that I can, um, I can do a lot more than I think I can, but also that I don't have to sacrifice my physical well-being to make change. So it taught me a lot about, and lessons I've carried into now about like work-life balance and um, self-care and who to surround yourself with and how to really see people for who they are. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, by Maya Angelou, when people show you who they are, believe them. Um, and through that process, there are a lot of people who I thought were for progress and for this work and like anti-racism, but they really weren't. Um, there are a lot of people who I was very surprised by, and I've seen them go on to try to create change in, in their little spaces. So overall, I learned so much, so much. Wow. Very eye-opening. Hard lessons learned. I mean, that's a great definition of what that looks like. And, you know, mental, physical health is so important and it's important to have that self-care. What did you learn from that in terms of like, what do you do for your own self-care and, and to ensure that you're mentally and physically well to continue to further change and to continue to spark courageous conversations? Yeah. So I always thought that self-care looked like going to the spa or getting a manicure all the time or living what we kind of think is luxury. Um, but really for me, I think what I've learned is like self-care is just listening to your body. So when you're tired, stop. Um, if you need to eat, you need to eat, drink plenty of water, get sleep. So listening to your body and listening to like your gut feelings, if you feel that something is not right, you should probably listen to that and apply whatever you feel to that situation. So I really learned how to listen to myself. I also learned to just kind of like stop thinking about what other people think. Um, and some of that, like, yeah, you want to have a public image. You want to have a good perception in the community. But at the same time, like if I'm taking care of myself by going out to eat or by spending time with family and friends, I don't have to always be doing something to be myself. So I think part of my self-care is just kind of deconstructing what maybe society or the world is telling me to do and really kind of listening to myself and to what my faith believes I should do and to just take this pressure off myself to always be performing. I think when you're caught up in like making change, it's like, it's a lot of go, 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 go. If anyone's ever organized even like a community food drive or something, you can learn how like 
organizing things and being a part of something that is in service to others, um, one, there's a tendency to create an ego complex. And then two, there's a tendency for you to feed off of that. Like I always have to go, I always have to be doing something and be performing in some way. And I think when I let go of that, and when I learned that like to take care of myself is to take care of and do things that correlate with my values and what I believe my calling is. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, very, very freeing. Uh, I get that. That resonates with me so much because not sure if you're like an Enneagram person, there's a few of us out there, I'm sure, but I'm Enneagram three, which is the achiever, which likes to go, go, go and cares about public image and, you know, all the shameless things, but it's really easier said than done to not let the opinions of others really weigh you down, especially when you're advocating for bold change or doing something that's just completely out of the ordinary, like a podcast, you know, it's, it's little things like that, that can really kind of eat away at you. If you let the opinions of others continue to, um, define who you are. Right. And, and that's where that's such a, a fine line between listening to feedback and hearing other people's opinions versus listening to your gut, like you said. And so, um, just, wow, you're just wise beyond your years. And I fully agree with what you're saying on, um, just making sure you're checking in with yourself and doing the little things to just feed your soul, feed your mind and body. And I think that all, it all interconnects. Mm-hmm. It does. It absolutely does. So you work at United Way in fundraising. So tell us about how you got into fundraising and the nonprofit world. Was that always something that you imagined or, or how did that happen? No, it really just kind of fell into my lap. One, I didn't know that fundraising was a profession. It is a whole field of practice. Um, people are dedicated to this. I had no idea whatsoever. I think when most people think of fundraising, they think of like, we're going to like a fancy gala that we're doing an auction for, or like even when kids sell coupon cards um, for high school fundraisers, you know, and they fundraise for the band or the choir, the football team, you know, I think that's what a lot of people think that fundraising is. Um, But it is a business. I mean, the nonprofit world is really a a business type world. It's just structured very differently and it's more social than the corporate world. So when I was at the university, my senior year, I worked for our development office, which is the office that fundraises. Um, If you've ever gotten a call from a student caller asking you to give money, um, that's their job. That's what, that's what the that's how they raise money. That's, a, that's one tool that they use to raise money. And I loved it. I worked on a couple of specific projects, particularly with our Black donors um, and with Black alumni at the university, trying to give them a pipeline and a way for them to give back um, and point them to specific areas that maybe they were interested in and show them different missions and scholarships that needed funding so that way they could give back. I worked on a giving day project. Um, I did a lot of data and research and kind of finding opportunities and recognizing patterns. Uh, I learned a lot about marketing, like how do we market social media? How do we use language and communication skills to show people that um, fundraising is very important and giving people an opportunity to give is very important. So after I graduated, I just had some connections and just kind of really networked around. And um, the job at United Way opened in Birmingham. And 
um, I was offered the position and, and moved here. And it's just, it's really been a wild ride. I'm still learning a lot about the field. I attend a lot of webinars um, and I'm always reading and trying to come up with different ways of like how I can do my job better and what can I take back to my team. So yeah, it's just, it's been so fun. Um, my job specifically is I um, manage the J. Mason Davis Leadership Society, which is our Society for Black Changemakers at United Way. And just speaking broadly, I really get to connect existing donors to volunteer opportunities and different networks, and they get to network with each other. United Way is a very large nonprofit. It is one of the largest nonprofits in Birmingham. So we're able to connect with people and be on the ground a little bit more than other people, so to speak. Um, we're able to be very community centric. We always really try to focus on the community and we serve a large area. So I get to work with all different types of people, all different types of networks and just meet really cool interesting people who care about the community and maybe don't know how to get plugged in. Maybe they know someone who needs help and one of our agencies or one of our direct services can offer help. And so I just, it's really fulfilling. I know that I'm making an impact. I don't necessarily always see the other side of those dollars, but I I know that when I see different stories and videos of families and children and veterans and um, children being able to go to school and get quality pre-K education, when I see stories like that and I'm able to meet people who are affected by the money that I raise, it is, it's very, very, very fulfilling. Wow. That's really cool. And um, just gives you chills whenever you feel like you're able to go to work every day and, and make positive change in the lives of others. And it's just really awesome what the the work that United Way is doing here in central Alabama, as well as nationally. So um, just really appreciative of their efforts and got to love nonprofits, man. Um, I work <laughs> for one and it's a wild ride. It's really fun, but um, I'm sure you know this well, but we all wear many hats. And so it's always great that to see transformative life change. So that's really cool. Okay, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given and how are you currently applying it to your life today? Ooh, um, I have so many, but I will say one of the ones that I've followed, not to a T, but that has always stuck with me and it was, it was drilled in me as a child. My dad's a pastor and everything always pointed back, you know, to God and religion. And I, I still am a Christian and um, I'm very firm in my faith, but he would always, whenever he would drop us off at school or my mom would drop us off at school before we would get out of the car, they would say, okay, say it with me. And he would, and we would say it with them. Don't forget who you are and don't forget whose you are. And as a child, specifically as like a young black girl growing up in Mississippi and navigating this really, really white world and white space. Um, in a world that's really stacked up against you, it is just really powerful. And I remember that at work. I remember that when I'm navigating like personal life things, never forget like who you are. Um, never forget where you come from. Never forget like who you are to your core and what your values are. Because when you, when you know who you are, you can't be shaken. Now that I'm getting older and I'm interacting with a lot of adults, I'm 
finding people who are like well into their life and they don't know who they are. And you can tell, you can tell when people don't have a sense of purpose, when they're just following what goes on and they're just handling, they're just kind of taking life as it comes and not necessarily trying to have an active presence in their life. They're, they've just always taken a backseat. And so I've always strived to just kind of, I'm obviously you can always make plans. You can try to control your own destiny, but I do know that like my calling is to be there for people and to be an advocate in whatever role or form, shape or form that shows up. And I also know who I am personally, who I am when I, when I go to sleep at night and I lay down, I wake up in the morning, I know who I am. You don't forget whose you are. Um, I am, I firmly believe that I was chosen um, by God. I was, I was chosen by my family. I was, I was placed in different places at different times in my life and where I am now for a reason. So when you know those two fundamental things, it makes life a little bit easier. Um, it makes the storms of life a little bit easier. I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but it's easier to kind of have that firm foundation and to not be shaken. Great words to live by. I love that. Now it's time for the leading ladies we love rapid fire game. Get excited. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. So I'm going to list a couple of adjectives. I want you to shout out the first female that comes to your mind that's just killing it and doing their thing in the respective industries. Um, this can be a friend, sister, uh, sibling, um, coworker, whoever you want it to be. Just shout them out. Um, we try to keep it quick. So are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Let's do it. First word is bold. I would say my sister, um, she, my sister, Sydney, she just, she speaks her mind um, and she has come into her own and she is, she is very, very bold. All right. Next word, advocate. Advocate. Um, my friend Haley Williams, she's about to go into med school in the fall and she really wants to be a doctor to be an advocate for other people. And she also wants to help other people be doctors as well. Um, so I think she really likes to advocate for people. She really loves to be in the community. Leader. Stacey Abrams. She has just changed the political landscape over the past decade, and especially in this last election cycle. So I think she leads by example. Next word is encourager. My mom, she is just my go-to and my rock. She will give me constructive criticism, but also tell you things that you want to hear. Um, so I, I really go to my mom a lot for emotional support and encouragement. Last word is genuine. My friend, Ashleen Williams, she is a professor um, and doctoral student at the University of Mississippi. And she's taught me a lot about how to really be genuine and how to really get to know people and see them for who they are. All right. Well, that wraps up the Leading Ladies We Love rapid fire game. Did great. Thank you. <laughs> We, we made it. So for our listeners who are tuning in today, how can they find you on social media? What's your shameless plug? My Twitter handle is at black, white keys, um, but it's spelled differently. So it's the word black, W-I-T-E-K-E-Y-Z, black, white keys. I will say my Twitter is my personal brand. It is a mix of me talking about work, whether that's in a professional sense or like a ranting sense. Um, it's my random thoughts. Um, I talk a lot about race on there. I talk a lot about women. 
um, black women specifically. So, you know, you get what you get on my Twitter. Um, obviously, it's nothing crude or inappropriate or vulgar, but you do get what you get. Um, but that's just the best way for people to find me and connect with me. I love interacting with Twitter mutuals. I have several of my friends that I've met on Twitter. So please give me a follow and give me a shout out. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Leah. As always, it's so much fun to hear from you. Well, thank you. Um, always lovely to connect. I love the work that you're doing with this podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ladies Who Lead podcast. I'd like to give a special shout out to the one and only Memory Smith. Without her, our designs would not look half as great. She's helped us with our artwork to logo, everything else in between. So if you're interested in more of her design work, please head over to Instagram and look for at Memory Smith Design. Yes, Memory, M-E-M-O-R-Y Smith, S-M-I-T-H Design, all one word. And be sure to give her a like and a follow. If you're looking for all the tea and the behind the scenes scoop on all things Ladies Who Lead podcast, be sure to head on over to theladieswholead.com. That's right, all one word, theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.